0: Everybody. it's time for another episode of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's me, your host, your writer, your producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. And, you know, I talked a little bit about this last week and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it this week. The past month or so has been a challenge, man. Ah, you know, we had a long stretch there where there are no episodes of Monster Kid Radio. Last week, we only had an episode because during that drought, fellow podcaster Steve Turek reached out to me to ask if I'd like him to produce another episode of Monster Kid Radio like he did when I moved from Oregon to Washington. I was super grateful for that. And if I didn't make it clear last week, and I hope I did, but on the off chance it didn't come across, thank you so much, Steve. For doing that. Now, why did that happen? Why did somebody come in and fill in for me? Why was there a a period of time where there were no episodes of Monster Kid Radio? So many different reasons. And I plan on producing a YouTube video about this, but TLDR or spoiler, or if you don't want to wait, or if I'm not able to pull off the YouTube video, uh, let's see. Real high-level stuff. I was working two jobs for the month of October. There were many times that I would start my job at just barely after 7 a.m. and I wouldn't get home from the second job until after 1 a.m. the following morning. Uh, then shortly after Halloween, I got COVID. And then while recovering from COVID, I left one job and started another day job instead, which I'm still adjusting to. And I don't even know if I'm feeling 100% health-wise yet. I'm not contagious anymore i'm past that stage of covid but i feel like my voice has changed a little bit and maybe it's just kind of how i'm hearing it i still feel like i don't have 100 energy levels the way that i used to that sort of thing so things are just slowly coming back online like the podcast i still haven't done anything with the twitch stream with the twitch channel the monster kid movie club i think it's probably still showing gamma movies from like three weeks ago So, if you're interested in watching the Gamera movies, go check out twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. But, bottom line is, it's a new episode of Monster Kid Radio. Now, I did record this episode before I got COVID. But, I think that I knew something was going on. And, I do address that in the recording. Also, I apparently was feeling a little punchy and a little, uh, I don't know, out of sorts. I threw some hot takes out there. I threw some punches. Out there at a couple of things, and uh, I didn't really, I can't say I didn't mean to, but it's probably not the same kind of approach I would take if I was firing on all cylinders 100%, if you know what I'm saying. So, please bear with me through the recording that I did with Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland. Talk about burying the lead, didn't mean to do that. Chris McMillan joined me this week, well, over a month ago, but for this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio to revisit a Vincent Price classic, House of Wax. Yes, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's been a long time, and there's a very special reason why Chris wanted to talk about it as well. You know, before I got sick, my plan was to spend the entire month of November, every episode of Monster Kid Radio, talking about Vincent Price movies. I had this grand Price-giving plan, and I got one recording in, and then everything kind of happened, so... Happy Price-giving, belatedly. Here's a Vincent Price episode. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's what you're getting this week on the show. Plus, Kenny has a famous Monsters of Filmland segment for us, specifically for House of Wax, which is pretty darn cool. Mark Matske and I have been in touch, and he was going to send me the most recent uh Capsule review. And I think there's been some email blockage happening somewhere along the way. So we don't have a beta capsule review this week. Fingers and tentacles crossed that it's just an email thing and Mark is feeling up to continuing the beta capsule review segment here on the show with uh, next week's episode. The emails that he and I swapped back and forth made it sound like that he was going to send me the new segment but like I said I think there is an email thing happening where we're just not communicating through no fault of our own. I think that uh, some giant monster somewhere along the way has broken the cable that connects his email to mine, and we need Ultraman or Ultra Seven or or somebody. I'd settle for Ultraman Eighty. Actually, I'd really love Ultraman Eighty to show up and reconnect those Google cables or something. The tubes of the how does the internet work? I don't. I don't. I don't know how any of this works. I'm barely able to figure out how to put out a podcast this week, which at this point. You know, I've kind of babbled on long enough. It might seem like I've forgotten how to do it. So let's just get on to, you know, what we're talking about this week. House of Wax, Kenny, and all the fun right now.
1: Preacher with the atom brain, A motion picture shot full of thrills. Based on scientific facts described in leading national magazines, you'll be hypnotized. You'll be terrorized. You'll be paralyzed. See a dead man come from beyond the grave. See Columbia Pictures' startling creature with the atom ray. Nightfall, monstrous animals crawl out of crater of volcano. Great herds of cattle stampede before this living inferno. Vast area devastated by appalling new horror. A creature named the Black Scorpion by panic-stricken people of San Lorenzo. Entire population prays for deliverance.
2: For miles around, cowboys came upon one dead steer after another. One of them had heard the tale of the demon bull of the Maricopa having lost family or friends, something absolutely unknown, we could be in another world.
1: Nation's leaders confer as news received a possible threat to capital. This is a city of four million people. If word of these leaks out, the panic of the population could be worse than the scorpions. The black scorpion destroys communications. Hundreds annihilated. achieved before by any science fiction picture thousands in the cast To admit. What's the matter, sir? Nothing is all, my right, boy. I should like to meet your friend. Why, certainly, sir. You will always be beautiful. Think, my child. In a no, thousand no. years, you will be as lovely as you are now. Come. No, no. Come. Let me go. Let me go. Don't be afraid, my dear. In a few minutes, the container will have filled with wax. And when it overflows, Your beauty will be preserved forever.
3: Ah!
1: The House of Wax, the ultimate dimension in terror comes to the screen in StereoVision 3D. Vincent Price at his diabolical best will take you room by terrible room on a journey to the ultimate chamber of horrors. StereoVision 3D will synthesize before your eyes the terrifying reality of it all.
3: In StereoVision 3D, House of Wax. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at famous monsters of film land. Today, Derek and his guest are talking about the Vincent Price classic, House of Wax. Famous Monsters covered this film in FM 45 from July of 1967. It was a 14-page article with 16 pictures. It began with this introduction. In 1933, Warner Brothers released a horror film destined to be hailed as a classic, The Mystery of the Wax Museum. It was Lionel Atwill's finest hour. The picture in which Lionel came nearest to Lon Chaney for effectiveness of horror makeup, Lon got the world's greatest gasp when he unmasked in *The Phantom of the Opera*. Lionel was a close second when his face was revealed in the two-tone Technicolor picture of the early thirties. So, the Mad Doctor of Market Street, the Mad Doctor of Vampire Bat, and the Mad Doctor of Ghost of Frankenstein, Minister Faye Ray in *The Mystery of the Wax Museum*. As if the Scream Queen of the 30s hadn't enough to contend with that year. It was the year of Kong. Unfortunately, neither the negative nor any print of the At masterpiece seems to have survived, so there's no hope of seeing how good it was, even on television. But fortunately, 20 years later, the studio decided to remake its horror hit, and Vincent Price was ripe for it. And color had improved in the meantime, and 3D was in, so the House of Wax was built. One day in 53, the world woke up to find ads like these in the newspapers. The story of a man-turned-monster who craves the show world's beauties for his chamber of horrors. Nothing ever like it. Beauty and terror meet in your seat as every amazing scene of its sensational story comes off the screen right at you. You'll be stunned at the hideous face, the desperate lunge, the clawing hand. You'll be breathless as the city is gripped in the throes of wild panic. You'll be terrified when the Chamber of Horrors comes to ghastly life, the mighty mystery sensation of our time. In Los Angeles, they had special showings 24 hours around the clock. Thousands flocked to be terrified and frightened. Richard Denning, who fought the Black Scorpion, The creature from the Black Lagoon, and the creature with the atom brain, was there at the graveyard twelve midnight showing, together with his wife Evelyn Anchors, well remembered for her wolfman and mummy roles. And in his seventieth year, Bela Lugosi, Cape and all, made a personal appearance much to the delight of the crowd. This is what Bela, the Dennings, and the theater full of fright fans saw that night the House of Wax started melting records all over the United States. The article continues and concludes with a full synopsis of the film. Let's hear how they describe the famous unmasking scene. Jared astounds Sue by stepping out of his wheelchair and standing erect. He grasps her. Sue pounds with her clenched fist at Jared's face in a futile attempt to protect herself His face begins to chip, to peel and crack. Beneath the wax, Price's classic features were contorted by makeup called the most hideous, shudder inspiring mask ever worn by an actor on the screen. Said one report, Not since the early days of Hollywood horror films has an actor had to pay so much attention to his makeup. The role Price plays calls for a grotesque appearance which could only be achieved by creating a cosmetic mask to hide his handsome face. Price himself reported that, in order to be on the set at 9 a.m., I had to be in the makeup department no later than 6 a.m. It took a full three hours to make me up, and more than an hour to remove the mask. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next week. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
2: dare to spend a night of terror in the wax museum you can't tell the living from the dead do you dare to spend a night of terror in the wax museum ladies and gentlemen the museum is now open you will meet some of the most fiendish monsters in all history cannibals Poisoners, stranglers, stabbers, and rippers. Terror in the Wax Museum. Wax thou art, and to wax thou shalt return. You can't tell the living from the dead. Where one is the killer, the rest the victims. Tell the living from the dead are they flesh and blood or are they wax are they alive or are they dead jack the ripper ivan the terrible attila the hun lizzie borden lucretia borgia bluebeard do you dare to spend a night of terror terror in the wax museum
3: I don't think anyone's here. Hey, who's that house of wax? Yeah, I can go in either. Look how
1: detailed this is. Tell me this doesn't look real. Oh,
0: All those wax figures, they're real people. Go, run. House of Wax, rated R. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get... excited. And occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster, kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky von Helsing. Listeners, I know we've talked about this movie in the past on the show, but it's so good. And when I was feeling my Vincent Price and Chris McMillan from The Shadow Over Portland wanted to talk about the original House of Wax. So that's what we're doing today here on the podcast. Chris, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: I think this is one of Vincent Price's best. It is. I know that others make the top of the list sometimes and whatever. This one for me is just fantastic.
4: It's one of my favorite Price performances, um, but there are so many good ones that it, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is my favorite Price movie because I'm watching it right now. But
0: there are a lot of movies like that, aren't there? (laughs) Oh, way
4: too many, way too many. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is definitely one of my favorites.
0: It's fantastic, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that, but I want to know how things are going with the Shadow Over Portland and how you're surviving post-Halloween. We're recording this on October 38th, uh, just so everybody <laughs> kind of knows what's going on. Uh, how, how are you holding up, man?
4: Oh, I'm doing I'm, I'm just glad it kind of slowed down for a bit. I mean, October is always really busy at uh, the Shadow Over Portland office, which is the table right across from me. <laughs> um, It's just there's so much going on and, you know, now it's kind of slowed down a little bit. But there's still a lot of stuff and I'm just gearing up for all the Krampus events coming next month because they they will be happening.
0: That's true. That's true. Hey, you know, I started kind of a a thing on Facebook and I knew this would get a reaction. Let's talk about this here. I posted on Facebook the other day that uh, I have decided that The Nightmare Before Christmas is not a Halloween movie. And that none of the music from that movie belongs on a Halloween party mixtape. Where do you fall on this one? Because this seemed uh, to cause a little bit of controversy.
4: Oh, that caused controversy? Really?
0: Just just a little bit. I I got accused of gatekeeping Halloween. (laughs) And and they're kind of right. I was. And uh, some of it was in jest. But I'm curious. Where does the shadow over Portland fall on this one?
4: I think if you want to watch it in Halloween, watch it on Halloween. If you want to watch it Wrong on... answer.
0: We're we're done here. <laughs>
4: oh <No. laughs> whoops. you know, if you want to watch it for Christmas, watch it for Christmas. I, I think it works fine. You've got that uh, you got the one song, This is Halloween. Right. Which kind of works and you know, it's spooky enough and it's fun enough, and you know, if you like it, go with it. I'm all for it. Look, I'm I'm one of the guys who calls Die Hard a Christmas movie. I have nothing to And that's to not a conversation
0: that I will ever want to have, because I, I don't think it is, but, you know, whatever. Well, it's that's okay for said, people to be wrong. It's all good.
4: <laughs> that's why I said it's like, I'm not going to judge. <laughs> I certainly can't.
0: Oh, no, I'm asking you, to right now. No, I'm just kidding. I um I, I looked at the lyrics of the This Is Halloween song, and as a standalone piece, Sure. But I don't think that song transcends the film enough to be considered separate from the film. Well... Now, that is the only song in that movie that is strictly straight-up Halloween, nothing about feeling forlorn about the holidays or going to get Santa Claus or any of that stuff. That's the only song on the soundtrack, I believe, that is straight-up, this is Halloween, this is Halloween, blah, 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 whatever. But I don't feel like it transcends the movie enough to be considered on its own. Does that make sense? Um, Sure. Do you see what I'm saying?
4: No, I see what you're saying. But, you know, I like I said, I fall in the camp of if you think it's for Halloween, it's for Halloween.
0: See, Chris, I brought you on here to back me up, man. I'm sorry. Like I said,
4: I'm the guy who thinks Die Hard's a Christmas film.
0: And, and you, I should have known better because <laughs> you're clearly wrong. I should have known better.
4: Uh, what can I say?
0: <laughs> Listeners, I'm curious to hear what you think. Is The Nightmare Before Christmas a Halloween movie? Does it warrant being played uh, on your Halloween party mixtape? I, I want to know. I want to know. So I'm prepared for the uh, the incoming um, responses. Uh, uh,
4: I, I, I can't wait to hear what happens. <laughs>
0: uh, I, I suspect uh, if anybody's got... You know what? I would entertain this conversation with Scott and Tracy from Disney Indiana since it's a Disney flick. Oh, yeah. I think the the biggest issue with that movie, boy, we're gonna talk about House of Wax in a second, I promise. I think the biggest issue <laughs> with that movie is that everybody calls it a Tim Burton film, and yeah, he that. didn't direct it. And I know there seems to, there seems to be some discourse lately online about the original director feeling a little slighted that uh, he doesn't get credit for the film. Yeah, I, says I, I, don't,
4: Tim I don't blame him. I mean, yeah, Tim Burton gave you know gave him the designs, but it's so, so. yeah, you know, I mean it's one of those things. I mean, I think, I think it should have his name up there, you know, but, but as a marketing campaign, marketing it as a Tim Burton movie at the time was a guaranteed success. Oh, for sure. You know, no way around it. So you had
0: to, the court is still out on this one, I guess. Um, thanks (laughs) a lot, buddy. Uh, so (laughs) let's talk about house of wax. This is, A 3D film directed by somebody who could not see 3D himself, which I think makes the movie even all that more impressive. Um, It's got some great visuals, but it's probably best known to people like us as one of the definitive Vincent Price films. Because boy, is it so good!
4: Oh yeah, he is so good. There's other good performances in it, but I mean this this is the one that's sure you know. That really started him down the path of being a horror icon, and it's understandable because this apparently was a massive hit for, the, for uh, Warner Brothers.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's been re-released, reissued multiple times over the years. I think even once in the '80s, it got a theatrical re-release, which is kind of cool to think about. Oh yeah, um, could be mistaken there, but you know, I it's just—it's hands down one of the best. And I remember years ago. Uh, I did like a, a top three Vincent Price films list countdown with uh, our friend Dr. Gang Green. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where I put this one. and Of course, that was years ago, and my tastes have changed over the years. If I didn't put this one on that list, I should have, and I would today. Because <laughs> it, it really is just a fun movie to watch. <sighs> oh, boy. I feel like this episode's full of hot takes. Unlike some of his other movies in which he plays the villain. This one is a true treat to watch and doesn't feel like a chore to me. I sometimes get... Oh boy, should I say it? Go for it. That's my coast. I, I don't like the Fives movies as much as most. Uh-huh. Uh, I find them to be kind of hard to digest and not nearly as palatable. Yes, he's great in them. Yes, his character may even be justified in them. But he's not a pleasant dude and I don't want to hang out with him. Despite the fact that what he's doing in this movie... Uh, it's terrible. I still kind of want to hang out with this Vincent Price, man. Well, yeah, as long
4: as he stays in his wheelchair and doesn't uh, try sticking you under a bunch of hot wax.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's true. I just, this one has, uh, I don't know, is it a sense of whimsy or there's just something about it that it's special to me that I don't get out of some of the other movies in which he plays the villain.
4: I kind of can see that. I mean, I like the first Dr. Fibes. I think it's it's just terrific. Um, I, I, respect one, eh. I respect him. I respect but, but, I see what you're saying, because, you know, I mean, he's much more charming in this because you yeah, and part of it, I think, is because you don't know he's the villain. You got an inkling. you know, something's up. But I'm sure when True. this, you know, came out, even though it was a remake of uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum,
0: which you and I have talked about on the show, oh,
4: yeah, even though it's a remake of that, I still suspect that people weren't aware what was actually going on. They knew something shady was happening but you know making wax statues out of real life people or well dead people at the point at that point you know that's uh that was probably shocking the thing is he's not playing a villain well he is but you know he's not as villainous if that makes sense
0: I get what you're saying then you're right
4: it's kind of hard to put into words but i think Fives is a villain you know, I yeah. mean, and he's playing it because we see him at the start. And I think that might be what it is. At the start of, um, you know, the abominable Dr. Fibes, Fibes is already the villain. He's already villainous. In this movie, you know, in House of Wax, we see Vincent Price before his villainous turn. Hmm. Okay. And I think that might be part of it because he's still playing the person he was before the fire. It's just that he goes a little mad now and then,
0: you know, just goes a little mad now and then. Sure. Yeah.
4: Um, so I think that's probably why, you know, I mean, why we get that feeling in that, in the movie that, you know, well, you know, something's going on, but is it really him? Cause he seems just like he was before the fire, except, you know, he can't walk. His hands are burnt. You know, it's one of those, you know, I mean, he's, he's playing that same character from before. Or okay. he's playing yeah. character as he was before. That's a better way to put it.
0: Maybe that's it. Maybe that's that's the issue, or or what defines it for me. Yeah. Um, plus, it's in 3D, which you know makes everything better, right? Well, yeah.
4: As you mentioned, the director um, Andre Dethu had lost the use of one of his eyes earlier, you know, as a child. Um, so he could not, you know, see the 3D, you know, see the 3D effects uh, when the dailies were up. But this is what Price said about it. He called it one of the great Hollywood stories. When they wanted a director for a 3D film, they hired a man who couldn't see 3D at all. Andre de Tooth was a very good director, but he really was the wrong director for 3D. He'd go to the rushes and say, why is everybody so excited about this? It didn't mean anything to him. But he made a good picture, a good thriller. He was largely uh, responsible for, su- for the success of the picture. The 3D tricks just happened. Um, there weren't a lot of them. Later on, they threw everything at everybody. You know, some modern Craig's field too's t- inability to see depth is what makes the film superior since he was more concerned with telling a thrilling story and getting believable performances from the actors than simply tossing things at the camera. Which makes sense. I mean, you and I saw it in 3D over at uh, the Joyce Cinema that one time, remember?
0: Oh, that's right, yeah.
4: And yeah, I, I mean, there are 3D cliches thrown in, you know, things getting thrown at the camera, the overly long paddle ball sequence, which actually kind of works and is kind of fun.
0: It's a complete fourth wall break. Oh, it's a complete. Like, Hey, you with the popcorn, watch out. Whoa.
4: Yeah. I mean that they, they just went for them. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of fun and all that, but if you look at it in 3d or even look at it in 2d, you can see where he gets some good use of depth perspectives. You know, I mean, it's yeah. not all throwing stuff. You know, there's there's some good use of 3D in there that isn't necessarily a, "oh, it's coming at you, spooky moment.
0: <laughs> Ooh, coming at too spooky. Okay, that should be the, the poll quote on the movie poster. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I think it's true. I think that, you know, him, uh, the tooth not being able to see the 3D effects means he concentrated more on making a good movie and just threw in some of the 3D you know, tropes because he knew that was happening. But his focus was making a good film and he got great performances from basically everyone. Yeah. Um, Price may say he was the wrong director because he couldn't see the 3D effects, but it turned out well because he was trying to make a good movie. I think he was the perfect director for it because he didn't focus on throwing stuff at people. And of course, this is one of the early 3D films, so that was before they started doing the cliche of everything coming at the camera so i think it works out well
0: so a couple things and i'm not trying to call out chris or whatever because i don't know uh, i've seen it and i've seen it so many times in text i've only heard it said out loud a few times the last name of the director the tooth the toth oh yeah andy dt i don't know what whatever you want to call him Please forgive us if we get the last day pronounced wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, No, 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 no. Like I said, this wasn't about calling you out. This was just about, I'm not 100% sure. Um, Yeah,
4: I'm not either. I'm I'm just doing the best I can. Yeah.
0: I'm sure there's a commentary track somewhere where it's mentioned or an interview somewhere that uh, I just have not seen or listened to yet.
4: Yeah. I just don't remember.
0: Even though we're questioning that, I'm not going to question anything Chris just said. Part of the reason why this movie succeeds so well is because the story is solid and the performances are fantastic. The composition, the cinematography, even if the director could not take full advantage personally of what he was doing, there are some incredible shots in this. There are some incredible sequences. The fire at the beginning. Oh yeah. Fantastic. And feels terrifying. And and knowing how Hollywood works works, I'm sure it was kind of dangerous. Um, uh, from from that what
4: I, I did some research. that was terrifying because the set actually caught on fire. They set it up, but somehow the the actual set caught on fire. it burnt through the ceiling of the sound stage, but they kept filming while the fire crew was coming because it was like, nope, we can't we can't re- replicate this. let's do it so yeah yeah there was a fire believe it or not
0: and i am not surprised i 100 totally believe that there was a fire and uh, there was a chance that some people would have gotten hurt well i'm I not surprised to hear that at all
4: yeah i think they say that um according to um, imdb right before the shoot the crew set three spot fires in strategic locations but they quickly lost control of the fire during filming, and it, quote, merged into a massive inferno that put a hole in, in the soundstage roof and singed Price's eyebrows.
0: Oh, wow.
4: But because the rapidly melting wax mannequins would have been very hard to replace, the tooth kept on filming, even as firemen arrived to extinguish the flames. So wow. that's kind of like, Wow. Uh, Yeah, During that fight, and I I looked everywhere I could, I just can't verify it, but I think there's a stuntman cover in a prop that went wrong when um, Price's business partner is trying to get out the door and Price stops him and he's punched and falls against the railing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's an obvious breakaway railing because that's how it would work, but he doesn't go through it. The railing doesn't completely break. And so he has to get back up and the guy hits him again. And then he goes through the railing because the railing falls apart at that point. I think I, I suspect that might've been a flub, you know, the breakaway huh. didn't go and they cover. Cause if you look, the prices stunt double is turning so he can see where he's falling when he first hits the rail and, okay. it, and it doesn't work. So he gets back up the, the other stunt man or the actor, I don't know, responds by taking another swing and he falls against the rail and it finally breaks and he goes to the ground. You know, I, I can't verify it, but I, I think that was a really good cover from the stunt team. That's my suspicion. Okay. Yeah. But you know, I mean, still the fire scene is amazing. It, I mean, it's yeah, really it is. good. Um, apparently it really was real. But, you know, um, so, you know, you've got this nice guy, his business partner kind of leaves him to die and well, things get crazy from there. Cause, uh, the business partner is attacked by a very, very well made up Vincent Price. The burn makeup was really good for the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: There's a lot in this movie that you know, needs to be talked about. Um, there's the incredible burn makeup. There is some real direction and, and attention to detail during the rooftop chase stuff. Oh, yeah. All of that. Um, this isn't just a story about a guy who pours wax on people. I mean, that's, that's if you were to break it down to its basis of elements. Sure. But there's a lot going on here. There is relationship drama. There is Action. There is suspense. There is uh, some elements that you would see later recycled in and, and turned into uh, mummy or even slasher movies. There are some really cool moments in this. Uh, sometimes it's Price. Sometimes it's the other cast members. Sometimes it's just some incredible direction. But there's some really cool stuff happening in this movie.
4: Yeah, about the burn makeup. Um, yeah, um, in his biography by his daughter Victoria. Um, mm-hmm. Price recalled that the makeup director spent weeks studying people who had been burned then stuck pieces of rubber on my face with pure alcohol. Two doctors supervised it to make sure the burns were as real as could be. It took almost three hours to put on and as long to take off, um, and both processes were very painful. I couldn't eat because my mouth was partly scar tissue, so I drank many liquids, and because of the running around in the makeup, I faded one day from lack of oxygen.
0: Wait 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 wait. What?
4: Yeah, this is a quote he from. He burned Christ. himself.
0: Oh okay, never mind. I understand now. Okay.
4: Yeah, no. Okay. The, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. This I'm just reading the quote um, that uh, okay. was in his. Okay. No, um, sorry. <laughs> it's like wait a
0: minute. Wait a minute, wait wait. Yeah. The makeup guy actually burnt him. So no no that's not what I heard.
4: <laughs> no. Um,
0: you it, know, as somebody who has,
4: um, set he was on a fire. filmmaker
0: when he grew up. Pardon? (laughs) Set myself on fire. Yeah. As somebody who thought he was going to be a filmmaker when he grew up and went to film school, the one short film that I made there, uh, I had some makeup on my face. I used some Richard collodion to create a scar effect. Mm -hmm. And when it came time to break and feed everybody, you know, I was a director, a co-director on the project, depending on who you ask, um, (laughs) uh, I also was the villain, and I had this wicked scar that I was pretty proud of. But that Rigid Collodion, it, it's rigid. It makes a great puckering effect and creates great scars. It really does. If you haven't played the Rigid Collodion, man, the stuff you can do with it is incredible. However, it is rigid, and it sets, and it can crack. So when I was feeding everybody at the subway across from where we were shooting, I was eating soup <laughs> and slurping soup. And sliding leaves of lettuce into my mouth that I could barely open to chew and have lunch while everybody else was mown down on sandwiches. So, <laughs> uh, I, I totally understand, I guess, is what I'm getting at.
4: Yeah, no. And and he talks about um, later on in the paragraph um, going into the studio commissary with uh, his makeup. Um, mm-hmm. He says, The girl at the cash register turned green and almost fainted. Then the patrons got up and headed for the door. Ah. Uh, so. Yeah, apparently it was even in real life. It was pretty, pretty realistic, and it looks really good.
0: It really does, doesn't it?
4: You know, the makeup it looks pulls phenomenal. up well.
0: Oh, it really, it really looks great. All of this movie, you know, for my money, looks great. Uh, I want to talk briefly about some of the other cast, real quick. Oh yeah, uh, we've got somebody who, for anybody who's into. Classic monsters and monsters on television and monster pop culture. We've got somebody in here from the Adams family. We're at Carolyn Jones, man. Yeah, I know. And totally unlike Morticia.
4: Oh, definitely. <laughs> this was apparently her first credited role. Um, she had done a couple of wow. films beforehand, but never received, you know, wasn't in the credits. She's on screen for a while, but you just don't see Morticia in her.
0: No, not at all. He- in fact, the first time I saw this, because her performance is so immersive, I didn't realize it was her. Mm-hmm. It, it took a couple of close-ups of her face later on for me to realize, oh, those are Morticia's eyes. Yeah, because she does such a great job just getting buried in that performance.
4: Oh yeah, no, I mean she's totally not Morticia. She is. She does. She pulls out a great performance. Her friend Sue, played by Phyllis Kirk,
0: oh, so good.
4: Another great performance, um, you know. I mean, but uh, yeah, Morticia was—it's it, you don't see more t- you don't see her. She does. Uh, Carolyn Jones does such a good job.
0: Agreed. Plus, a very, very early role—not the first, but a very early role for, of all people, Charles Bronson. What?
4: Yeah, I know. How, how does that uh, happen? You take the roles you can get, and I mean,
0: he—you he, know—he
4: he play, he he plays. He plays his part man. well. He's, you know. Yeah henchman and he looks you know I mean obviously he's a henchman he's Igor or Igor yeah. I don't know how they pronounced it
0: he's the be- Igor yeah
4: yeah so of course of course he's the evil henchman the, the evil person's henchman and he he pulls it off well he's sinister mm-hmm.
0: uh somebody else that really kind of stood out to me just because whenever I see him I'm like oh it's that guy dab Square Dabs is just awesome he plays one of the cops oh right Oh, the, yeah, um, he's the, the, fun. The,
4: not the head cop, but his partner. Yeah. Right.
0: And, uh, the other person that I want to give a shout out to who didn't get credit in the movie because of the Red Scare. Oh, yeah. He yes. was on the list. Uh, Nedrick is his name, right?
4: Yeah. Nedrick Young.
0: Unfortunate, um, huh. because he is another one of the assistants, right? He's another person helping out with everything and he was on the list he got blacklisted or on the yeah the and, red list or the red scare i you know that was just a horrible time yeah and
4: history. and uh, he's also an oscar winner he won for yeah. his screenplay for the defiant ones yeah yeah and we have another interesting uncredited person looking at my notes frederick ferguson he was one of the medical examiners um, okay. he also played mr mcdougall in Aben and Castella meet frankenstein and was in hush hush sweet charlotte
0: i just saw i, guess I saw a meet frankenstein the other day at the uh, oh, joy was, cinema as part of their the scarathon
4: yeah nice
0: and i guess uh spingoli just showed it too but i think he's just ripping off jeff at the joy at this point
4: oh well yeah i mean if you're gonna rip off somebody rip off jeff at the clearly because <laughs> I, I i saw the list he put together for that sp- uh scarathon god i so wanted uh-huh. to go
0: I could only go to a couple other things, um, because I had to go to work, but, uh, I went for Abbott and Costello on the mummy's hand and had a great time. So. Oh, nice. So Did it you, was awesome. Got, Cause I, uh, introduced the mummy's hand. Oh, um, very cool. I didn't, he, he wanted to do Evan Costello and, you know, cool. But yeah, I got to introduce the mummy's hand. So got to show off for Beth a little bit. Oh, nice.
4: That's cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he had some really good stuff, um, you know. It came from outer space, horror of Dracula, and I forget what the late night one was.
0: From Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. It was a good time. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, so, you know, great cast, some good, some really good effects, some really solid music as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of that score. David Butolf mm-hmm. uh, was the composer of that, and uh, there's just some great music in it. Just overall, I, I'm a big fan of this one. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about this, um, but why did you want to talk about this movie?
4: Oh, yeah, no, because um, you had said you were doing Price Giving, and I think right. the first thing that came up, first thing I mentioned was uh, Dr. 5s wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I
0: yeah, and I was going to let it go, yeah.
4: <laughs> but then I changed it to House of Wax because, um, well, about four years ago, you know, when my parents were down in Florida, um, my mom called me up about this time of the year, you know, maybe, maybe early October or late October or early November. I don't remember. Um, it was my week, you know, I'd call them every Sunday and say, hi how things do and, you know, all that stuff. Sure. And she said, Hey, I just, have you seen house of wax? And I just started gushing. Oh yeah. I've seen it many times. Vincent Price is great in it. Really love the movie. And she's kind of like, Oh, and I'm like, why what's up? And she she told me that when she was a teenager, she went and saw it in theaters and nice. loved it. And it was on TMC and she recorded it. She's like, I thought you might mm-hmm. want to see it with me, but you know, you see it so many times. I'm like, uh, no, don't erase it. When I get there in, in June, because I'd go every summer to, uh, you know, help around the house and help clean things mm-hmm. up and, you know, stuff. I'm like, when I get there in June, we're watching it together. And. She was really happy. I was really happy because my mom's not a big horror film fan, but for something that, you know, for her to like a horror film and want to watch it with me, I was all set. Unfortunately, uh, about two months later, she passed away after an accident in the, in, in their bathroom. She fell and popped a blood vessel in her brain and we had to take her off life support in January. So, I never got to see this uh, with her, which I will always regret. So, Mom, if you're hearing this podcast somehow, I'm still watching it. I wish you were here with well,
0: me. What was her name? Diane. Well, we are dedicating this episode to the memory of Diane McMillan.
4: Thank you. Uh, I, I, appre- yeah, I appreciate
0: of course, that. Man. Of course, of course. So, yeah, I don't want to get too modeling here or anything like that. But, yeah, I just want to make sure that... Uh, we why we are doing this movie as opposed to that, you know, Dr. Fives movie that apparently I, I don't like. Um,
4: <laughs> had I known you oh, didn't boy. like it, I would have suggested another one first.
0: You know, it's not all about me, man. Sure, it's my show and all, but it's not all about me, man.
4: Uh just joking.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's re- what else you want to say about House of Wax. Well, uh if you can see it in three D, see it in three D.
4: Oh yeah. Um there's a couple the of the effects hold on. points though about them um that I found doing research. Um yeah. And also I did watch mystery of the wax museum right after watching house of wax last night. God, I love that movie too. Watching them one after the other, you, you honestly, house of wax is a better film. Wow. All right. The pacing is better. There's no real score to the, um, mystery of the wax museum, but you know, this was just at the start of, That's you true. Know, yeah, they hadn't figured out how to do, you know, scores for movies. This was actually, you know, a pre-code film, so there is mm-hmm. um, a little bit more to it. Um, Jared's assistant, the one that we talked about, played by Young, you know, mm-hmm. was is an alcoholic in House of Wax. Well, in Mystery of the Wax Museum, that character is a heroin addict, and that's how they break him. You know, keep him from shooting up, and he's like, okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. There's a lot of similar lines. Some of them are actually, you know, kind of lifted right off Um, in house of wax they are I don't know if it was intentional or not, but they're almost verbatim from the script in mystery of the wax museum at times. But the most interesting thing that I have is that in mystery of the wax museum, the civilians play a bigger part, not only in solving the mystery, but also resolving it than they do in house of wax. You know, you've got, um, Glenda Farrell, uh playing Florence.
0: Fantastic. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, who's a reporter, and she's instrumental in figuring out what's going on in the Wax Museum. The cops do play a part, but you know, she's the one prompting them to get going, and she figures it out before they do. She's the one who finds out that there's, you know, that um the, the character's name um was Ivan I- Igon, Igor in the movie not Jer- not Dr. Jared but she's the one who figures out that he's putting wax over dead bodies. Um in House of Wax, you know, before uh Phyllis Kirk is coated in wax, the policeman comes and you know the the head policeman pulls her out of the way in Mystery of the Wax Museum, her boyfriend, Fay Ray's boyfriend cuz uh, Phyllis Kirk's part is played by Faye Ray in the movie, pulls her away. So in Mystery of the Wax Museum, there's a lot more that the civilians do, but in House of Wax, the authorities are the one who's the ones who completely save the day. You know, sure, Phyllis Kirk's character, Sooth, thinks that uh, her friend Kathy is, you know, the Joan of Arc, and all that. But you know, I mean, the hero in House of Wax, the the love interest, um, what was his name, Scott. Um is basically mm-hmm. sidelined during the entire climax. You know, he, he doesn't do anything. It's all the cops doing it. Um, and I think it's kind of reflective of the time in the 50s where you know we were supposed to put our trust in authority figures, and you couldn't have the authority figures, you know, overshadowed in any way by members of the public. It was it was the attitude like, don't worry the people in authority will take care of it. You know, it's that sort of message, I think, that came across more in House of Wax when you look at Mystery of the Wax Museum. Kind of makes sense?
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. The other big difference, I think, for me, I would, you know, trying to put myself in the position of an audience member of watching Mystery of the Wax Museum versus House of Wax, I would think that the big reveal at the end of Mystery of the Wax Museum would be more shocking. Sure, it's shocking in House of Wax, but we're talking '30s technology versus '50s technology. Oh yeah, taking absolutely nothing away from what we see in House of Wax, but the big reveal and mystery, I think, would have been more shocking.
4: Well, they let Lionel Atwell when it's revealed he's you know horribly disfigured because of the fire. They let him talk. They they let yeah him out after the reveal. Which kind of slows down the final act a bit. I'm not saying that he did a bad job, but it was like with House of Wax, once Vincent Price's character is revealed, you know, or his actual face is revealed, he doesn't say a dang word after that. He just goes full on villain.
0: True. True.
4: It's just another difference I saw. I mean, like I said, I don't think Atwell's acting was. A problem. It's just that they sort of it sort of brought the whole movie to a halt.
0: That makes sense. yeah.
4: but um, yeah, also doing my research on this, and I found, I, I was able to verify it on a couple sources online. Apparently, House of Wax was so good that Warner Brothers was trying to make a TV series out of House of Wax. really? Yeah, the idea was, you know, they were trying to make money on TV because TV was taking away audiences. Well, apparently it was considered too gruesome for TV, so it got re-edited and became um, was released in 1966 as Chamber of Horrors, starring uh, Patrick O'Neill as the killer. This is the movie that had the Fear Flasher and the Horror Horn. (laughs) Now I've seen this, and yeah, there's some yeah gruesome stuff. You know, it's not that bad. I'm sure they shot stuff. For them, you know, they, the film was padded out, you, you know, and the Fear Flasher and the Horror Horn were added, to, because that's when the scary stuff is happening, so you can hide your eyes. Sounds like a William Castle
0: thing. Yeah, it really does. <laughs>
4: but yeah, apparently it, got re- it was released in theaters as Chamber of Horrors, so if you ever watch that like I did and go, this seems really familiar, that's because it was the pilot episode for A House of Wax series. All
0: right. All right.
4: The idea was that there would be a group of people who are amateur detectives and solve bizarre crimes. God, I want to know more about that. I need to find a copy of it. I haven't seen it in decades, but it was, I remember it being fun, but I also remember as a kid when I saw it going, this seems like House of Wax. (laughs) And then to find out, oh, hey, yeah, that's because it was, sort of.
0: I don't know if I've seen that.
4: I remember, right, the, the killer loses his can
0: uh yeah he's got like the the cleaver
4: yeah that's the one he's got
0: like the cleaver yeah well maybe that'll be the next thing you and i cover
4: hey that sounds good i'm up for it (laughs) yeah because it's great
0: all right so uh listeners i'm a little under the weather so i want to go ahead and start wrapping this up but before we do so Anything else about Chamber of Horrors? not Chamber of Horrors. <laughs> House of Wax, or uh, Shadow over Portland we want to make sure people know about?
4: Nope. Uh, just uh, if.
0: Nope. That's it. Nope. Nope.
4: <laughs> nope. Uh, but remember, you know, if you're looking for something to do in the Pacific Northwest that's uh, sci fi, horror, or fantasy related, just check out uh, my website, shadowoverportland.blogspot.com. I've got weekly updates you can find on you know links on facebook when you go to those links you can click on the um horror sci-fi fantasy calendar and see what's coming up uh in the next couple of months and all the way into 2023 wow um so and yeah. it's
0: not just portland it's not just washington it's the entire pacific northwest I, even up into I canada cover, B- that way.
4: bc idaho oregon yeah. washington yeah the whole every all of them um and also if you see something that, if you don't see something that you know of that should be on the list, you can always email me at shadowoverportlandlive.com. That's all one word, shadowoverportlandlive.com. Let me know and I'll be happy to put it on there.
0: Sounds good to me. Chris, thank you for doing this, man. Well, um, thank we you will for be having doing me. Chamber of Horrors. Pardon? Okay. I we will know. do Chamber of Horrors.
4: That sounds great.
0: All right, man. Well, shadowoverportland.block. Yeah, that site.
4: That one. If you just Google the shadow over Portland, I think I'm the only one so far.
0: You know, it's it's um, the, 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 uh, the, the spirit of Vincent Price and Dr. Vibes coming down on me um, <laughs> for what I said. Sacrilege. <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you can't
2: take it, you can still see it. Because the new motion picture, Chamber of Horrors, has realistically incorporated a built-in audiovisual warning system to shield you from the shattering impact of its terror. When the fear flasher begins its signal and the horror horn sounds its alarm, shut your eyes and
0: hold your ears. See Chamber of Horrors, Technicolor from Warner Brothers. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you being patient with me and with the podcast and just being part of the Monster Kid Radio audience. Things are still kind of in flux. I'm still trying to refigure out things and figure out how to make sure the podcast is still happening and then getting to the Twitch stream and then my own personal projects as well. There's a lot going on. And as we kind of ease back into things, as I ramp things back up, I have to ask for your continued patience and support. Thank you so much for everything that you've done for me so far. I hope it's not a big ask to ask for more patience and support as we continue. So I was going to record something for the podcast this weekend. However, my birthday is on Sunday and I have been told by my fiance Beth that I'm not to make any plans for Saturday. Apparently she has something lined up for me. On Saturday, I I don't know what it is. Well, my birthday's on Sunday, but Beth and I do have some long-standing plans with uh, a couple friend of ours. You know, Tom and his fiancee Shanna uh, are going to get together on Sunday for some stuff. I, I don't think we're doing anything birthday-related that day. But bottom line is, is I, I'm taking my birthday to just further heal, <laughs> and deal with everything going on uh, with me. That doesn't mean there's not going to be an episode of Monster Kid Radio. I do have some things in the works right now. In fact, as of this recording, I have a scheduled appointment with Stephen D. Sullivan to be on the show next week, in which we finally get around to wrapping up this year's Rally Awards. What what, what do you mean, wrap them up, Derek? Well, here's the thing. I'm glad you asked, but here's the thing. When we did the rallies this year, earlier this year, we only talked about the 1930s and 1940s installments. We didn't do the 1950s. So Steve and I are going to get together and announce the nominees for the best in monster movies of 1957 and 1958. And let me tell you, I've been working on that ballot it's a mess in in a good way. It's a great way. A glut of monster movies. So many to pick from. It's going to be hard to narrow it down to just like six nominees for each category, but I'm going to do my best to present a ballot with our friend Steve next week here on the show. That'll be episode 599. And then after that episode 600, I have no idea what we're going to do for episode 600. I've had some suggestions and uh, I appreciate all of them, but I feel like this whole COVID thing forced me to reset so much. So if you have a suggestion or if you have sent in a suggestion or if you want to contribute something to episode 600 of Monster Kid Radio, I'm all ears, man. Please send it along. Shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at our voicemail line, which is 503-479-5657. That's, of course, available on our website at monsterkidradio.net, which is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio. Check it out. I'm so out of practice. I probably should have mentioned that a lot earlier. (laughs) But check out our website at monsterkidradio.net for links to our Discord, our Reddit, our Patreon, our Twitch, our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, and everything else going on. I'm also going to make sure there's a link to my eBay listings because I started putting some new things on eBay. And you know what? I'm going to be putting some more monster magazines on eBay here, probably uh, tomorrow, in fact, and some more DVDs and Blu-rays as well. So if you're looking for something to add to, I don't know, your Christmas gift list or I don't know what I'm saying. I'm tired. I need to go run an errand after I just you know what? I'm running out of steam. I don't have a way to get out of this. So I'm just going to wrap up and let you know that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 3.0, unported license. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Um, oh, next week. Yes, uh, the rally thing. I'm going to try to do what we've done in the past when we've announced the nominees for the rallies live on Twitch, kind of. So go to twitch.tv slash radio and follow me over there. Follow that. It's free. You it don't cost you anything. And you'll be notified when we go live for that, which is probably going to happen on Wednesday, fingers and tentacles crossed that it's going to work out. Okay. I'm done. Let's go get this out to y'all. Ciao.